Okay. Hi, everybody. <clears throat> I'm Robin T. I'm a compulsive overeater and a hundred pounder. My top weight was 320 pounds. I'm six foot one. And my weight now is 175 pounds. I'm 70 years old and six foot one. I um, was very nervous when, you know, the, <clears throat> I was reminded this morning that I had agreed to speak and nervous to say I forgotten that completely, but of course I'll honor my commitment. <clears throat> And I said, yeah, of course, I'll show up, because I was told we speak. That's what we do, and we speak <clears throat> so I can share the miracle or the message, it says, rather, of recovery to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. The idea behind this, as I understand it, is that it, this program is based on the idea of one compulsive overeater talking to another compulsive overeater and sharing the communication that this program still works, that it works. I was nervous about the suddenness of me being asked. So I asked my sponsor and... Um, recommend you get a sponsor if you don't have one. I told him I was nervous, and he said, your story will have three parts, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And he said, I, I would like to suggest, Robin, that what it's like now be the bulk of what you share about, because we try to catch the attention for identification. That's an important part of this program, to formulate identification. So people think, I think it says in the big book, it works, I must have this thing. So I hope I can do that. I was born a compulsive overeater. This, this much is obvious to me. Food uh, held a special fascination. I felt apart from and that I didn't fit in. And from the beginning, food worked to help me feel a part of. I was um, always had a fascination with food. I developed a um, habit with my younger brother, uh, glorious brother, now sister, sister brother, um, Carrie, who we would uh, have contests to pour large amounts of sugar, like a box, into a bowl, and whoever could finish it the quickest was the quote-unquote winner. And um, 
Um, this, this is not a healthy basis for competition. Normal people don't compete, compete by eating white sugar versus brown sugar, but it didn't occur to me because it just seemed like something to do for fun. And when I did it, I got over this idea that I was a freak and a weirdo because that's what people called me. And I was not fat, but I was teased for being fat. So I was very self-conscious that I was fat. And when I ate things like waffles drenched in syrup and sugar and all that stuff, I'll try not to formulate too much, triggered and I felt like I was apart from. Now, scientists, neurologists at Harvard, this is an old discussion, have um, released the information some time ago that the neurological response to sugar is very, very similar to the addict's response to cocaine. So it, it proves to me that there's very little response difference between cocaine and sugar. And it was hard to deal with because I didn't care. I didn't care about the effect and I didn't care about my teeth. And I didn't care about all this stuff. And it swept me up in an attitude of um, numbness, that my whole attitude towards life was was numb. And that, <clears throat> that was what my first um, 12 to 15 years was like. I mean, I had a, a good father a good father. People talk about having horrible childhoods. My father was a little bit stern, but he wanted me to have a good life. I mean, you, you see that stuff in, um, you see that stuff in retrospect. He uh, said to me, Robin, we're going to go to camping and we'll camp twice a year at camping parks. And so I, um, we did, we went camping and I discovered the idea of physical exertion and I um, went camping. I mean, I, I failed, um, um, when I went camping, I remember I um, went in this one lake that was really far to the barrier, and I um, went too far, and my legs began to cramp up, and I um, felt like I was drowning. And I turned around and hollered at the shore, and nobody heard me. And I thought, what's going to happen? And I turned around and, and hollered and said, 
God, if you're out there, I'd never said that before because I've never thought about God. God, if you're out there, could you help me? I'm scared. I'm scared to death. And and my legs were cramping wildly. And what happened was the cramps began to subside and I swam back to the shore and instantly forgot about the experience. But that was my first um, hint that God would help me if I'm in terrible pain. Now, when I was 17, my father died of a heart attack. Uh, bear in mind, I'm 70. My father died of a heart attack. And my whole attitude towards life took off. People at high school said, I'm sorry for your father. And I would uh, holler at them, don't be sorry, I hated him, because that was my attitude. I was in pain over my father dying. And um, I took that attitude because I couldn't deal with my loss, and I got heavily into narcotics, intravenous cocaine, intravenous speed, intravenous heroin, and massive eating of food. I would gain weight and lose weight like a, a sponge, and um, I went into that cycle of the drug addict cycle for a long time, from 17 to 29, until my mother, I hope this isn't too disjointed, I'll, I'll get into the recovery immediately. My mother said to me, um, you're going to jail unless you rehabilitate, I can't take this. And various things happened. I rehabilitated. I asked God again for help, and I got into um, AA. And someone said to me at the end of my first meeting, what did you think, Robin? What did you think? And I, <clears throat> I thought, yeah, I immediately gained... Um, um, sense of sobriety. I became clean and sober. And what happened to me was the problem with sugar and with flour and with uh, pie crust and nut butters and all that stuff remained. And I had to deal with it. And I put on and gained weight and put on and gained weight and somebody said to me, I hope I get more focus here. Somebody said to me, Robin, you need a higher power. A higher power will give you focus. And I heard for the first time, whatever you pray to, whatever you make your higher power, whatever you pray to in times of need, whatever you think will fix you, whatever item people, place, or thing, or item will fix you. That's your higher power. And of course, mine was food and relationship with women. And 
I thought women would fix me, and I prayed, and I got a girlfriend, and one, and another, and another, and they all left, and subsequently, I put on weight and lost it from 17 till 30, and then I was told, you're going to jail unless you find a way to control your wild appetite. I hope I've communicated that I was out of control. I was really out of control. And what happened was, this person said to me that I woke up from a hangover and they said, I said, what happened? And they said, how many minutes? They they said you attacked a woman while you were drunk. You're going to woman unless you sober up. You're going to jail, and that was the magic key for me to sober up. I prayed to God. I said, God, again. I said, God, if you're out there, please reveal yourself. And this time. It manifested itself. I knew I needed a higher power. And I will say that in the last century, the writers Thoreau and Emerson, real-life people, um, advocated the idea that what's understood to be God is an energy that manifests itself everywhere everywhere so that when you go to church and the church service ends you walk out and you pass people and you're passing the energy of that uh, what we call a higher power and that it's in all living things so from that moment um 40 years ago for booze and struggling uh, on and off. Now it's 19 years for food. I went for walks, and when I go for walks, I'll say thank you, higher power, because I know I'm passing a work of God. When I pass a living thing, I say thank you, higher power. And um, it's a miracle of creation. Someone tell me how many minutes I have, please. Is anyone out there? Oh, dear God. You can be heard, Robin. You can be heard. I hear you. Is the moderator there? I hear you. 